Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Let's turn together to 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. I feel a burden this morning uh, for the message. The Lord has really burdened my heart from the moment that uh, my alarm went off this morning uh, early, and I began to consider the message that I believed the Lord wanted me to preach and just try to get everything together the way that that I like to have it together. Amen. Those of you that are preachers know uh, what it's like when you get up and you think, man, I I wish I had another day. You know, to get, amen, Brother Joe, good to see you here this morning. Uh, glad you could make it in, just to have just a little more time, you know. Wasn't, you know y'all ever felt that way, preachers and teachers? Like, yeah, I, I, feel, I know this is the right thing, but I wish I had more time. This morning, I, I felt like I, had, uh, I, I needed more time. And, and then when the, Lord, when the Lord was walking me through it, He said, you know, I just kind of realized everything He wanted me to say was right here, and I don't need more time, and I don't need this. I just need Him. Amen. Amen. And in prayer before, uh, you know, it is necessary to pray. We'll just, you can just put a period at the end of that statement. It's necessary to pray, uh, but if you're going to preach or teach from the Word, the Word of God, you better pray. Amen. You need God. I'm not smart, okay? Uh, Brother Jason introduced me as an oaf this morning. Uh, <laughs> amen. Big, oh, he said big oaf. I think he was referring to my size more than my brain capacity, I hope. But anyway, the fact is, Brother Jason, I'm not real smart. I don't have any, any great revelation to give you this morning, but I've got a living Word of God. And my desire is to give you what the Lord's laid on my heart this morning. I hope that you'll receive it. It'll be a help to you. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to read a few verses here, uh, starting in verse number 13 of 1 Peter chapter number 2. When you're there, please say amen. amen. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. The Bible says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by Him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Verse 17. Verse 17 is a great verse. It would be a good one to memorize. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Can we just say verse 18 and 19 is tough? Brother Tim and I were texting the other day about a passage that was a tough passage. Amen. Out of the book of Judges. And I was curious what he thought about something I'd read. And uh, there are a lot of these sort of tough passages in the Bible that they're right and they're good and they're there for your benefit, but man, what a hard pill to swallow. Jesus said some things were hard to be uttered. And what that meant was, this is a hard thing. 
It's a tough lesson to learn. And what he's saying in verse 19, verse 18 and 19, it's pretty tough. And if you were to just pull that out and read it, you'd go, man, is God is speaking to the servants. And if you look in the context, you're talking about servants and slaves. You're talking about people whose lives often belong to others in this time. And the Jews, there were a lot of Jews who'd been taken as slaves and things throughout history. And those who maybe weren't slaves but were servants. And here's what Peter said to them. He said, you need to serve your masters with all fear, not only to do good and gentle, but also to the forward. And he said this, you need, to, you need to be willing, and it's really less about that servitude and more about what he says in verse 19. Here's what he says. You need to be willing to suffer wrongfully. You know what that means? You need to be willing to let people mistreat you when you don't deserve it. And to bear it, he says, with conscience toward God to endure it patiently. Look at verse 20. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Here's what he's saying. When we suffer and we deserve to suffer, you know, your wife is mad at you or your husband is upset with you because of something dumb that you did or said. Amen. He ever did or said something dumb. I'm the king of saying dumb things. Amen. And you've done that and then you're suffering. My wife's been hanging one over my head, just won't let it go. And I'm like, it wasn't even that bad. Please, let it go. Just that's a little joke we've got going. Amen. Y'all pray for it. And pray for me, amen, that I can bear it patiently. Because here's the thing, I'm like, you know, when you do it, and then you have to suffer for it, guess what? You might as well just take it. Because you did it to yourself. You dug your grave, now you're going to lay in it, right? You made your bed, now you're going to sleep in it. That's, That's the old sayings we say. But what about when you didn't do anything wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. You did nothing wrong, and now you're being mistreated for something you didn't even do. Maybe it's something someone else did, and it's not even your responsibility. And now here you are being persecuted. Here you are suffering, and you did nothing wrong. I shouldn't have to do that. That's not fair. Here's what Peter said. Everybody should take it patiently when you deserve it. But taking taking that suffering patiently when you don't deserve it, when you do well and you still suffer, this is acceptable with God. i got to imagine the people reading this letter from Peter thought, this stinks. (laughs) I don't want to hear that. How am I ever supposed to do, how am I supposed to deal with that? I can't do that. i I got a short temper. i got a short fuse. Bless God, I'll, I'll, I'll haul off and slap somebody if I have to. Amen. So here's what Peter did. He brought it home for us in verse 21. He said this, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. You know what that guile is? That's those things you say that are hateful and spiteful, Word we used in Sunday school this morning, belligerent. You might say things that are with, with an intent to twist things around. You might say something to take all the heat off you and put it on somebody else. Amen. To get it all off you and, you know, just cunning and sly. Jesus didn't talk that way. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When people said awful things about him, he didn't say awful things back. When he suffered, he threatened not. When they struck him and hurt him, and he had within his power 
the power of God and the legions of angels waiting at His beck and command if He wanted it. He didn't threaten them. The closest thing to a threat that Jesus ever gave as He's going to the cross is when Pilate said, don't you know I've got the power to release you? And He said, you've only got the power that God gives you. He threatened not. But listen to this. Committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under the righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returning to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Peter's talking to those who should submit themselves to the government, to the governors, and to those that are sent out from them. He talks about the servants and how they should be submitted unto their masters, and then he brings it all together. He says this, he said, the reason that we should be willing to submit is because Jesus was. The reason we should be willing to suffer is because Jesus was. That He's our example. Amen? And we love to talk about how that we are to be like Christ in loving others, and to be like Christ in living good, and, and be like Christ in this, and be like Christ in that. But this right here really brings the focus on one thing for Christ, and that was submission and suffering. And here's what he said. So are ye called to. What did he say there? Let me read it exactly to you. He said this uh, in verse number 20. Where is it? I've I've, I've skipped over it right here. Verse number uh, 21. Hereunto were ye called. That's what I'm looking for. For even hereunto were ye called. Called That when we got saved and we became a part of the family of God and that we are to live as Christ lived in this world and love as Christ lived in this world, what that means is we are called to be as He was, which means sometimes we're going to suffer and it's going to be thankless for the good we do. That's a tough lesson to learn, isn't it? Some of y'all are thinking, man, this is going to be a great message. But I want to, I want to focus in, if I can, on a couple words here. And as Peter is talking down through here and he... He speaks of these servants and how that the reason a servant should be willing to suffer uh, even when they're not at fault is because that's exactly what Christ did when He said, this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief and suffering wrongfully. But the fact is, that is a very tall order. And it's hard. And we're, we don't, I don't like suffering, do you? Amen. I don't like the fact that my foot hurts right now where I rolled that ankle. I certainly, and that was my fault. I certainly don't want to suffer because of something you did. Or something they did that I, I mean, me look at God and say, God, what's the deal? I, this isn't my fault. Why am I the one that's got to suffer when they're the ones who did the thing? But you never see Jesus say that. As Peter goes a step further in defending his position, he puts the light off of you and on Jesus Christ. And man, when that happens, there's really no proper response except for humility. Amen? For humility. When we look at Christ, it is humbling. The suffering of Christ is such a pure picture of suffering. A perfect man, the most kind, meek, and gentle man who ever lived. The verse we just read, referencing there in Isaiah, that powerful passage speaking of the crucifixion, said, as a sheep before his shearers, 
said, He openeth not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He said, well, well, what big a deal is it that he didn't open his mouth? All he had to do was say the word. And they said, other, you, say, you saved others, but self you can't save. All he had to do was speak. He could have shut their mouths. He could have brought the power of God. Amen. But he didn't. He kept his mouth closed. He prayed for them. He never showed an ounce of, of, of guile or an ounce of hatred or an ounce of, uh, of belligerence or anger or, or war. Amen. He was gentle. He was meek and he was suffering. You better believe he was suffering. When he became sin, being God, never said a cross word, never did a bad thing in all of his life. And in that moment hanging on the cross, he felt the guilt for all our sins. And he felt the pain as the punishment for your sin and my sin. How can we look at that and say, I shouldn't have to suffer. I shouldn't have to endure hard things. I shouldn't have to go through a hard time. It's not easy to go through suffering. It's not easy to deal with difficult things. It's, it's not easy to do these things when we don't deserve it. Right? But as Peter brings the light of the Word on Christ, I can't, think, I can't help but think of the ways that we generally suffer, especially when we would say it's, it's unfair. How that we are suffering in, in our peculiarities. How preachers get up and say, we ought to talk like Christians. And we ought to dress like Christians. And we ought to watch things Christians ought to watch. And do things Christians ought to do. And already as I'm saying that, I can, I can feel resistance. Because you think that the Bible is trying to infringe on your right. That's not suffering. That's not suffering. Well, I should be allowed to do as I please and do what I want and say what I want and go where I want and do as I please. And that preacher gets up and he wants to try to control me. No, no, no. I have no interest in controlling you. I can barely take care of being responsible for me. Amen. I don't want to be responsible for everything you do. I'm not the police and I'm not your judge. All I am is a mouthpiece. And all I want is for God to use me to give you His Word. But if His Word says that we're to be a peculiar people, and there's some things about us that if we do them, people are going to look at us weird, guess what? That's not suffering. I'm not trying to belittle that it's tough, because it can be. But that's not really suffering. And yet, in the day we live in, that's what it's all about. The, the outrage and outcry of, oh, you're trying to oppress me by making me live the way the Bible says to live. I'm not trying to do anything to you. The Bible's just trying to tell you a way to live. And living according to Scripture is not oppression, and it is not prison, it's freedom. Amen. It is you having victory over your flesh and sin the way that Jesus did. Jesus was not a prisoner. No. He said, no man takes my life. He don't take my life. I lay it down freely. He was free. And if the Son should make you free, you shall be free indeed. That's the way it is. Our peculiarities, the things we have to do and the way we're supposed to live... The living holy is not suffering in persecutions. Are we persecuted for our faith in this country? Yes. I'll say yes, sometimes we are. Uh, right now, in, in the world we live in, there are persecutions, by the pure definition of the word, that we are facing. That people, they, they say, if you don't agree with me, that you're invalid, and that you're full of hatred, and you're full of anger and malice, and, and you're evil. And that's a persecution. They say that our Bible's not true. They say that our God is not real. Though they're, they're persecuting our faith. 
But that's not suffering like Jesus endured. Everywhere Jesus went, He loved people. He healed their sick. He prayed for them. He gave them the Word of God. And they killed Him for it. Right now, overseas in Afghanistan, there are men and women who have given their life to the mission's work and serving God who realize that at any moment they could lose their lives if the right person knocks on the door they're hiding out behind. That's persecution. The people at your work calling you a Bible thumper if you read your Bible during your break, that's not really persecution. I mean, it's a form, and I'm not trying to belittle the fact that it's tough and we need courage, but that's not the sort of suffering Jesus endured. And if He can endure the cross patiently, then surely we can endure these small sufferings for His sake. Amen? And powerlessness. Sometimes situations in our lives arise that we have no power over. People get sick. People get hurt. Accidents. Right now, there's people dealing with the loss of a life. We don't have the power to change those things as much as we wish we could. And there is a, uh, a natural tendency inside the flesh to look at God and say, it's not fair. Why would you let bad things happen to good people? That's hard. Amen. It's hard. Suffering is hard. But our example is not me. Our example is not you. Our example is not the best Christian in the house. Our example is not the pinnacle that you know in your life of the one who has suffered the most and endured it the most patiently. Our example is the Lord Jesus Christ who endured the cross despising the shame. Why did He do that? He did that that He might fulfill the will of His Father. Now all this is introduction. I'm going to give you a very simple thought at the end and we'll be done. In this verse I've given you, these passages we've read here in 1 Peter, here's what Peter had to say about the Lord Jesus as he's describing how that He did no sin and how that there was no guile in His mouth, how that when He was reviled, He reviled not again. And when He suffered, He threatened not. Here's what He said in verse 23. But He didn't revile, He didn't have guile, He didn't sin... He didn't threaten, but instead, He committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously. He committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 12, a commonly quoted verse, the Apostle Paul said this, he said, For which cause I also suffer these things. Talking about suffering. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and in persuaded thee is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Committed. Why could Jesus endure suffering as the Son of God for your sin and not open his mouth? Because before he ever took the first step toward Calvary, he'd already committed himself into God's hand. Committed. That word commit means to give in trust. It means to put in the hands or power of another. To entrust. The context of this passage, it it, it implies the taking of something 
and placing its well-being, its accomplishment, its future into the hands of someone else, someone that you trust. I wouldn't let my children go home with just anybody. I wouldn't put my children in the car with just anybody because they're precious to me. Because they're important and they matter. And, and before I would want to put something that, I, that is so precious into someone else's hands, I would want to know that I could trust them. And Jesus coming down to this earth and enduring all the things He did and putting on flesh and going forward, here is what He did. He entrusted every step that He would take in the hands of His Father. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because it was the will of His Father. John 3.16, we so often quote it, and I think sometimes we miss the key person in the verse. The key person is not Jesus Christ, the Son. It's God the Father. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And who said that? Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus said. I've already taken my hands off this. The decision has been made. I'm here to do the will of Him that sent me. And who sent me? My Father sent me. Amen. That's why in the garden, right before it's all about to go down, here's what He prayed. Father, if it be Thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. Because He had committed, Peter said this, He committed Himself. You know what that means? Everything. When I got Jesus, I got everything. Amen. When you got saved, you got everything. But some of us have yet to give everything to Jesus. Some of us have yet to surrender. Y'all know that old song? All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Some of us have lived as Christians all these years you saved when you was a kid or as a teenager or as an adult. and You come to church and you sit in here, and, 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 but you have never committed. Jesus had to commit. The Son of God had to commit. And as Peter's talking about the example of suffering, which by the way, we're all going to suffer. Everybody suffers. Saved, lost, no matter what you are, suffering comes. It's a part of life. It's a part of the curse. Thanks, Adam and Eve. That's just the way it is. We suffer. That's life, and it's hard. And sometimes it's very hard. How can we endure that patiently? And how can we love and serve God when suffering comes? Because we commit it. So let me ask you a simple question this morning. What have you committed unto your God? What have you committed? I told you that word committed is to take something and to place it in the capable hands of someone else. Sometimes that's hard to do, especially those of us that are a little bit control freaks. Amen. And some of you are thinking, yeah, amen. You, you, we have trouble letting the smallest things go. But when it comes to your life, the only way you're going to grow, the only way you're going to flourish, the only way you're going to make it is if you will commit all unto the Lord. Three things. I don't have sub points or anything like that, just simple Clear presentation thought this morning. I want you to get this. First, have you committed your custody unto the Lord? That's the surrendering of your ownership. Have you committed your custody 
unto the Lord. So what does that mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul said this, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your... Ye are not your own. Verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? God's. You know what that says? When you got saved and the Holy Spirit moved in, it's His house now. Amen. For you to live otherwise is to live a life of rebellion. Amen. Some of y'all... Uh, as teenagers, we're rebels. <laughs> Amen? Some of y'all have a little bit of that in you. Can I tell you, rebellion in that is as the sin of witchcraft. It's an abomination unto God. And the Bible tells me that obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen? Rebellion, I know we like that term. It's like, oh yeah, bless God. That's ungodly. It's straight out of hell. Rebellion, God hates it. and he don't. Like... Amen, y'all still with me? We good? Rebellion's wicked. We've all got a little bit in us, don't we? Amen. Oh, you gonna tell me what to do? Boy, you hide. You go hide and watch. Amen. That ain't right. You know how I know? Because this says it ain't my house anymore. When? When I got saved? Oh, are you saved this morning? If you're saved, raise your hand. You're willing to raise your hand and say I'm saved? If you're saved, you were bought with a price, and that price was the blood, life, breath of Jesus Christ. He came. He lived sinless, and he died, and he bore all your suffering so you could go to heaven and have a wonderful life, not without troubles one of joy, peace, gladness, fulfillment, serving God, the what, what you were created to do. Amen. You wonder why so many people have trouble finding happiness and they go to alcohol, they go to drugs, they go to, to living uh, provocatively, a wicked lifestyle, trying to get that fulfillment because they were made for God, for Christ. They don't have Him and so they're never happy. Amen. But if you've been saved, you're bought with a price and in that moment, that empty feeling in your gut, that thing that's missing, that you're seeking. The Holy Ghost of God came in and you became the temple of God. And when you became the temple of God, He took the bill of ownership, the deed, to your body, your spirit, and your life. So the reason that you just can't seem to get it right is because you're still trying to run the house. And it's His house. Have you committed your custody unto God? Or are you still trying to hold on to the steering wheel with both hands? Or at least with one hand? Well, I'll give it here and I'll give it there, but I'm never going to let go. Matthew 20, verse 11. When they'd received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour. Thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. It's talking about those that a man had called and asked people to work all day for a penny. And at the last minute, he went and got some more people to work. They worked for one hour, and they got the same amount of money. Is that fair? It's not a trick question. Is that fair? No. Oh. If I work 12 hours and sweat all my sweat and got cramps from dehydration, and you give me a penny, which is at that point, you know, a day's wage or whatever it may have been, and this guy comes in and he works for an hour, barely works up a sweat and gets the same thing, goes, man, can you believe how much I just got paid? I barely even work. Is that fair? No, it ain't fair. It don't sound fair at all, does it? No. These guys say, I don't understand. How come they got the same amount? We should get more. Look what the master says. He answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? That penny sounded awful good 12 hours ago. But now that you've noticed how unfair it is, it don't seem so good. Take that thine is and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? 
That's a pretty valid question, isn't it? Your body? You raise your hand, you say, your body, your spirit, it's God's. It's His. And when you want to take it and live a wicked lifestyle, unfaithfulness to God, unfaithfulness to church, just delving into sin and doing what you want, the reason is because you've not committed your body, your custody of your life ownership. You've not given ownership over to God. Everything you've got, you think it's yours. Bless God, I worked and I put this food on my table. No, no, no. No, it's God who made that air for your lungs. It's God that gave you the strength to get up out of bed. It's God who saved your soul and has given you every good thing you've got. The Bible says, every good gift cometh down from the Father of lights. All of them. It's all from God. We're living on borrowed time. We're just stewards of His gifts, His blessings. Have you committed to Him the custody of your things, your life, your ownership? It's a simple question. Jesus had told us that Jesus committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously. Have you, have you given Him? Is He the owner of your family? Is He the owner of your job? Is He the owner of your body, of your possessions, of your money, of your life? Is He the owner of everything you've got? Yes, He is. But have you committed it to Him? Or is every day a trial? When I got up as a child growing up, I never once, ever on Sunday morning, asked my parents if we were going to church today. They didn't do everything right, I'll tell you that. But that's one thing I never had to worry about. I never had to wonder about. Do you know why? Because they committed that to God. When it comes to this thing, this is what we're going to do. Because God said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And when it's church time, we go to church. It's just, there's no question, it's just, it's, we're committed. Have you committed to Him your custody? Number two, have you committed to Him your choice? It's the surrendering, surrendering of your options. That's the problem, isn't it? We like to keep our options open. Don't we? Well, that girl, she's cute and she's a good girl and everything, but I really like to keep my options open. That boy, you know, he's all right, and yeah, I do like him a lot, and yeah, he's a good guy, and yeah, he's faithful to church, and yeah, he loves me, but I kind of like to keep my options open. Well, your options should be placed firmly in the hands of your God. Proverbs 3, 5, we like to quote it, such a, such a good, powerful, and helpful verse in times of trouble. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine understanding. Verse 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. But look at the next verse. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Now that's not so fun to quote, is it? You know what the Bible says? The fool is wise in his own eyes. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Here's what he's saying. If you can get to the point that you realize that you don't know better, your whole life will be better. Let me say that again. If you can get to the point in your life where you realize that you don't know better, your whole life will be better. Amen. You need to surrender the options of your life to your God, to commit to Him your choice, that you say, God, everything I am, everything I have, and everything that I do is in your hands. You want me to be in church? I'm going to be in church. You want to be in this church? I'm going to be in this church. You want to be in that job? I'm going to be in that job. 
You want me to marry that girl? That's who I'm going to marry. You want me to marry that boy? That's who I'm going to marry. You want me to have two children? I'll have two. Want me to have four, five, six? That's what I'll do. You're the one who chooses. I am yours. Do as you please. That's what Jesus did. That's what He did. That's why He had not a pillow to lay His head on as the Son of God walking around on this earth with nothing to show for Himself. You know why? Because it was the will of His Father. He said, I've come to do the will of my Father. I've come to do the will of my Father. That's just what He did. He came to talk of God and to point toward God and then to march to the cross and die for your sins. And He made that choice when He put it in God's hands. Before He was born as a fleshly human being here, all God and all man, there in this miraculous thing, this paradox, if you will, of who He was, He came under this instruction. When as a 12-year-old boy went missing and his parents searching everywhere for him, he said, what? You know I'm about my father's business. He surrendered his choices to God. The choice of church, where to go, when to go, when not to go. Is it a frivolous decision we make every Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, and sometimes extras on a special meeting? Or do we do it because it's what God wants when He wants it? Is it a divine leadership? Is it God's choice or is it yours when we go? Our choice of occupation. Our choice... Can't, let, let me be a little bit... I don't want to take too much time this morning. I'm trying my, I want to be very mindful of the time. I don't want to wear you out. When I was 18, I graduated high school. I was 19 when I graduated. I turned 19 before I graduated. I wanted to be a civil engineer. Make the big bucks in my head. You know, I was very good at math. I was uh, seventh or so in my graduating class of like 110 people, not that many people. I did good in school, had good grades, wanted to go to college, went to UK for a year, settled in. I was going to do engineering, settled into civil engineering because I like doing building things and stuff, and I knew you could kind of work in that going that way, and I had these visions. I was called to preach when I was 14 years old. When I was 18, the Lord put me, or 19 rather, I'm sorry, the Lord put me in youth ministry. Wasn't really looking for it at the time. Our youth leaders stepped down and quit. My dad came to me and my Aunt Tammy and said, can you all hold things together while we figure it out? We had youth rally coming up. I said, yes, we'll do that. We put youth rally together. We did it. I'd already been helping with the youth, with our youth leaders at that time for a year or two, preaching for them and helping. And, and before you knew it, the church asked us to take it on full time, me and Tammy working together, her with the girls and me with the boys as the youth leaders. And when God did that, he told me, if you go into civil engineering, you're working 60 to 70 hours a week for at least the next five years. That's what they told me in school, in college. You're not going into a 40-hour-a-week job. Go ahead and get that out of your head if that's what you're thinking. God told me, how can you do ministry the way I want you to do it, working 70 hours a week as a, as a 21, 22-year-old guy? And there's people that do it, people that work their brains out all these hours and do all these things, but God dealt with my heart that that wasn't what He wanted for me. And I thought, okay. So I looked for something else. I, I really, really wanted to go to college. My parents didn't go to college. I was going to be the first one in our household to have a degree. So I said, I'll go into education. I can teach and have summers off and, you know, not off, but you know what I mean, and be available and all those things. And so I went to teach Spanish. So I thought I can use that in ministry. I've never taught a day in a Spanish high school classroom. 
I did work for the school board for a while, working with Spanish-speaking students and helping them. The Lord opened the door, and I did that for a while. There have been plenty of times where I've sat and thought, God, what in the world? Because I really believe that's what he wanted me to do. He wanted me to go and, and do teaching and education. I could use that and all these things. God, what? Here I, here I am, and here I am doing this. Did I miss it? Was I wrong? What's going on? You know what I had to come to realize? If God wanted me teaching, he could open the door. First week after I graduated from college with a degree to teach Spanish, I had an interview for a teaching job in a local county. Never got a call. Had an interview another time with school. I did my student teaching. Principal talking to me. I, I think we want to hire you. We know you. We love you. We want you to come. Two days before the interview, she texted me. They decided to close that job out and open it to a different place. Everywhere I went, it's like there was a block in the way. I thought, God, what's this for? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what my Spanish degree is for, but it ain't for teaching. I felt like it's the right thing to do. I prayed about it, and I don't know what it's for. Maybe one day we'll have a, a Spanish ministry here in our church, and the Lord will allow me to use that in some way. He'll have to help me, because if you don't use it, you lose it. But I don't know what it's for, but I know this. I'm not the one in control. With my job, I don't have the reins. With my family, pulled my family out of the church where we'd served. I'd been in my whole life and came here in this ministry. You know why? Because God said do it. And I believe it with my whole heart. Because God said do it. Because he's in control. And as a 16-year-old boy, I knelt down at a camp and I gave my heart to God. And I've been saved and called to preach. And I said, Lord, I want you to have my whole life. I don't want you to just have this and just have that. I want you to have all of it. Every job I have, my, I, I want the woman you want me to marry. I, I want all of it, God. I'm committing my choices to you. And he's never let me down. Never. Oh, I've had doubts and I've thought, what are you doing? He's never let me down. Because I've surrendered my options. When it's easy, when it's hard, it's his. You surrendered your hobbies, your spouse, your friends, every choice we make. It's not a momentary decision. That, that decision I made as a young man to give God my life, that wasn't all it was going to take. It's a daily decision. Today's the Lord's day. It's His day. It's God. It's His choice. Every choice we make. Jesus looked to them there in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and He said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me we have to constantly choose to let him choose are y'all still with me have you committed your custody to god the surrendering of your ownership have you committed your choice to god the surrendering of your options and finally have you committed what is to come that's the surrendering of your way out John chapter 6, verse 67. I read this verse and it breaks my heart. Jesus, the greatest man who ever lived, loved people surrounded by disciples. People following him everywhere he went. He gave them some hard truths. And they left. And guess what? He didn't lie to them once. He wasn't cruel to them once. 
He never did anything he wasn't supposed to do. He just told them the truth. But they couldn't take it. And they all left. And he turned to 12 men standing there. And here's what he said. Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. You know why Peter said, we'll never leave you, we'll never go away, we're, we're, we can't go anywhere else? Here's what he said, we know you're the Son of God. We've got nowhere else to go. There's nowhere better to go than to you because you're the Son of God. And this morning when I say, are you saved? And you say, yes. What you're saying is this. I believe and am convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Christ. Amen. That's what you're saying. And so that's, that's it. That's it. That's the beginning. That's the end. That's all of it. That should be it. There's nowhere for us to go. We're never going to leave. Because He's Christ, and He's God, and this is His house, and I'm His, and this is where He wants me. Luke chapter 1, verse 67, the father, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, said, was filled with the Holy Ghost, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He hath visited and redeemed His people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spake by the mouth of His holy prophets, which have since been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He sware to our father Abraham, verse 74, that He would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him, listen to this, all the days of our life. All the days of our life. Paul said, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. He was a prisoner on purpose. He said, I'm never leaving. I'm not looking to get out. Amen. Are y'all still with me? I'm almost done. I'm not looking to get out. I'm not looking for an exit clause. I'm not looking for a loophole. I'm not looking for this one to say the wrong thing or that one to say the wrong thing, or for this to happen or that to happen, here's the statement. I will serve Him all the days of my life. That's the statement. The reason we're seeing so many depart from the faith, walk away from their church, give up, settle for sitting at home, and, and settle for a lesser life, and, and settle for not doing what God wants them to do, and, and never reach the lost people God wanted them to reach, and never do the work that God wanted them to do, and have half the life that God had planned for them, the reason we're seeing that happen is because we've got people who have yet to commit what's to come to God. They're still just deciding every day whether they're going to stick around. Now I told you to, to surrender in the moment, and to surrender what you're doing now and, and where you're going. You have to decide once, and then you have to decide every day. But you know what we should all just go ahead and agree on? You're never going to quit. I'm never going to quit. God may pull me here. God may take me there. But if He does, it'll have to be Him because I'm never going to quit. Amen. I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to walk away. But instead, what we've got is we've got people saying, yes, 
I will serve the Lord, period. Asterisk. Y'all know what an asterisk is? Go ahead and throw it up here for me, Miss Jana. That's an asterisk. It's like a little black star. And when you're reading uh, instructions, like an owner's manual, it'll say, do this, do this, and you'll see an asterisk. That means check the footnote. Except when. When Jesus committed His hands and His life and His heart and His whole body into the hands of His Father, there was no asterisk. I will serve God all my life unless things get too hard. Unless that preacher rubs me the wrong way. Unless that sister over there says something I don't like. Or that brother over there does something I don't like. Or, or the church makes a decision. Not a scriptural, her heretical decision, just, just something I don't like. Or that preacher preaches it too straight. Or that, they, they just take too strong a stand on the Bible. Or, or something wrong happens and somebody mistreats you. You have to suffer wrongfully. How many people are leaving church because they think they've suffered wrongfully? How many people are quitting on God because they think they've suffered wrongfully? How many people are walking away from all the blessings and all the future that God had planned because they think they've suffered wrongfully? And guess what? Some of them have. I do stupid stuff. Brother Tim, you ever do anything stupid? Brother Joe? Both the Brother Joes. All the Joes in the world. Absolutely. I've mistreated my wife. Best thing God's ever given me outside of salvation. Amen. I've mistreated my children, the gift of God. My parents. Oh, I've mistreated my parents. Growing up, they didn't quit on me. Because when you commit, there can't be an asterisk. God, I'll serve you and I'll give you my life, Lord. If you'll save my children, I'll do this and I'll do this. Well, except just, you know, so, you know just, just not this. And I, I won't do that. I, I won't, if this happens, I'm, I'm out. We need to take out the exit clause. Take leaving off the table. Take quitting off the table. You better be glad Jesus did. When Jesus, you say, well, he prayed. Yeah, he prayed. Not my will, God. Just want to double check. Ain't nothing wrong with double checking with God. God will never lie to you and never lead you wrong. You want to double check with God? Go ahead. Say, Lord, I just want to make sure because I want to get it right and I want to do what's right. You better believe it. Sometimes you'll have to double, trickle, triple, quadruple check. But, but my goodness, take the exit clause out. Take, take it out. I, I'll serve you all the days of my life. Asterisk. No. Here's what we need. I'll serve the Lord all the days of my life, no matter what. John chapter 6, verse 38. Here's what Jesus said. He's our example, isn't He? For I came down from heaven, laid aside His glory, put on mortal flesh and condescended, the Bible says, not to do mine own will, the will of Him that sent me.
He committed Himself to to Him that judgeth righteously. Let's all stand. Ms. Brandy, you can come to the piano. Please don't let don't let the flesh fear anger hurt malice steal away from you what God is trying to tell you this morning some things are hard to be uttered some things are hard to be heard hard to be received Jesus agreed to come down from heaven. He did so knowing the suffering He was going to have to endure. He knew it. How many times did He tell them, I'm going to die. Even when they came to take Him, Peter drew that sword and tried to fight back Peter. Jesus stopped him. Because Jesus came for one reason, that was to do what God wanted him to do. My prayer this morning for every soul in this church this morning is that you would commit yourself to God. Don't commit your Sundays. Don't commit your Wednesdays. Don't commit Sunday school or or a certain amount of money, or or a certain amount of time, commit yourself to God. That whatever He wants you to do, that's what you want. And that's what you're going to do. And that if it hurts, that you'll do that. God, if if it's costly, if it's hard, whatever it might be, that we commit our lives, our well-being, everything we have into His capable hands. We trust Him. The old hymn says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." And it is. Sometimes it's hard, and sometimes sometimes things happen that are difficult, and and it is suffering, but when Paul stood before his judges there after, after having been drug around a prisoner, he said, "'I think myself happy.'" Because it is a joy to serve the Lord. Don't let it pass you by this morning. Don't let pride, don't let personal aspirations or hurt feelings or anger or distress steal away the great blessing that is a life lived in service to God all the days of your life. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful. Thank you, Jesus, Lord, for coming down and committing your life and your hands, your work, your spirit into the hands of the Father. Thank you, Lord, for enduring such great suffering, such a contradiction against yourself, God, in becoming sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in you. Thank You, God, for loving us. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You, God, for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray this morning, please, speak to our hearts. 
God, if there is one here this morning who has absolutely not committed their life to you, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would draw them. God, that you'd show them that there is no life better than a life lived for Christ. God, that there's no joy and there's no peace like a life that is lived in the fulfillment of Christ and all that you are and all that you do, Lord, we are yours. I pray, Lord, help us, God, to commit ourselves into your hands. I pray if there's one today, God, who's lost, that doesn't know you, Lord, that they'd come to know you today. God, that they would realize, Lord, that there's nothing in this world, God, that'll answer the questions that they have to ask, Lord, that will fulfill them, God, and give them what they need outside of salvation. Lord, that you died for our sins. God, that you were buried and that you were resurrected on the third day. And God, that you ever live making intercession for us. I pray today, Lord, please, draw us to you and help us to commit ourselves into your hands. We love you. We thank you. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.